you're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. I'm so glad you are here joining us for this important episode about building safety for true intimacy with Jay Stringer. You guys might remember him from a previous episode that he did on unwanted sexual behaviors with his award-winning book, and I am so very glad that you have joined us for this episode today because I don't think you're going to leave this episode the same, and I think that you are going to, like me, have a really rich experience as we talk about somebody who uses such familiar language to us here in this podcast, but also allows us to build upon what we've learned here to get some tangibility around how to build safety in our relationships. And you'll hear he and I even dialogue and put the cards on the table for some of our own deep story work that we're doing because we're all in process. But truly, I want to encourage you to really bring a journal to this episode for some note taking or at least the note section of your phone. Because I know that for myself, the danger of seeking information and listening to a podcast without doing the work is tempting and happens sometimes. And this is one of those episodes and moments that I think that if we really let it saturate, we can take our growth uh, to a deeper dive level. So I'm very thankful this was one of those episodes. As soon as it was done, I was like, get this into my Google Drive. I don't want to lose this. And I'm so thankful that Jay also has research for you to take part in as well. If you'd like to be part of the body of research that uh, he has folks validating out of NYU and even creating new tools for to get this research scientifically validated. Uh, It is going to be groundbreaking levels of sexual history information that we are using to uh, to build and to cultivate more healthy intimacy for you and your spouse out there. So I cannot wait. He's going to tell you about that on this episode today, but even more so, like I said, this is a chance for everybody here to grow a bit and to learn more about why we do what we do and how to really, in this whole month we've been talking about sexuality, really allow ourselves to form healthy stories around what we're doing and building together and to get some lift off versus feeling like, why am I doing so much work? Is it worth it? And Jay just reminds us it really is worth it and you are worth it. And as we come together compassionately and also bear compassionate witness to the work our spouses are trying to do too, I think that we leave this episode with a joy-filled, hope-filled spirit really even more. So I'm excited for you to delve in make sure if you can take some time to be part of the research on an individual or couples level that you connect with Jay or grab everything out of the show notes. If you haven't read his previous book, Unwanted, oh my goodness, you are in for a treat and it will change your life. So I I don't say that very often in this level. I do say often I'm excited and thankful, uh, but this is something that I want you to know that um, is a different level. So that's why I want you to pay attention if you 
have lost me, come back to me now. You are in for a beautiful journey here on today's podcast with Jay. Jay, we're so happy to have you back on the EM Pod. Thank you so much for being here with us. Krista, thanks for having me back on. Such a, a joy to be here. Oh my gosh. Well, your episode last year and your amazing book, award-winning, unwanted, has been just such a topic ever since you came. We are just excited to jump into this topic with you on sexuality. We're talking about it the whole month. You've been studying, researching it. We're just so thankful. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're up to lately and your family and yourself? Sure. So we are in the midst of a a pretty big uh, transition. So we moved from Seattle to New York City during COVID. Mm -hmm. And then uh, we just moved again about an hour north of the city. And we're going to try and build out uh, a property that we have to try and do more retreats and intensives Mm -hmm. up here. Mm -hmm. Also have a place to write, get away. Um, So in the midst of a transition, but also uh, like you in the process of writing a book, And so I don't know quite when that will be released, but my guess would be like fall 2024. And uh, the tentative title of that is Desire. So gonna look at, my first book looked primarily at unwanted sexual behaviors like the use of porn and infidelity. Uh, But in the next book, I wanna expand uh, Mm -hmm. the notion of sexual desire problems to say, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times in a marriage, you can have no desire for your partner, Uh, Sometimes people can have out of control desire or sexual pain problems. So I want to really look at what are the sexual problems that couples are facing Mm -hmm. and what can we learn about them instead of kind of just either hiding or turning towards contempt towards one another. Mm Thank you for uh, just bringing this out to us. Before we got on, I was literally thinking, um, Krista, you keep putting your episodes, I guess it was my little type one voice going, you keep (laughs) talking about all the pathology around sex. And I was like, thankfully, I've done some mini episodes around uh, some of the positive aspects. But like, Mm -hmm. I love that you're also bringing that in because we know that when we're this empty vessel, we need to be edified and also directed as to how we can connect not just how we're disconnected. So this is very exciting. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so many times uh, I kind of compare it a little bit to like food poisoning, where a lot of times Mm. in different circles that you can run in, the only time that sex is ever talked about is like talking about it in terms of salmonella. And just that notion of like, you will never learn to want to cook or enjoy cooking if you're just concerned about disorders all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I really just want to look at, yes, there are sexual problems, but the the reason why we enter them is to really get to that place of flourishing. Oh, thank you. That is so important that we come full circle like that. Mm-hmm. And I know we're going to talk today about, uh, you know, even a bit about that, but I want to let our listeners know a bit about the research you've been doing lately as well, because mm-hmm. I noticed you really delved deep. I took your 40 minute questionnaire and <laughs> I loved how it was interesting. Of course, I love mm-hmm. that as a type seven, but I also felt like you were really hitting on some things that I haven't seen a lot of you know, ever yeah. really seen even uh, mm-hmm. lately researchers hit on. So tell us about some of the questions and whether you've gotten any results. Sure. Uh, thank you for taking 40 minutes out of your day to do that. Um, so basically what the research is looking at is there's a lot of kind of core marital work that's out there. So if you study like uh, Sue Johnson, she has a book called uh, 
hold me hold me tight and it's basically about like how do you increase attachment and connection within your partner mm-hmm. or you'll look at kind of some of the work of John and Julie Gottman and they just have really great uh, research back scientific things to help improve your marriage, a lot of good tips, a lot of just like, it's like wisdom literature of like, if you want a good marriage, uh, these are the types of things that you need to be doing. So for example, they might talk about, you need to have a five to one ratio of, you know, uh, blessing your partner, having gratitude, uh, enjoying them for every kind of one critique. And that's kind of what the masters of relationship do. Mm-hmm. Or if you read stuff from uh, the late David Schnarch, he would take it's like a radically different approach to marital mm-hmm. therapy. And he would say, you know, a lot of times we marry someone uh, in order uh, to have them reflect back to us kind of like a, a view of ourselves that we enjoy. So this notion of like, I don't really know who I am, but the reason why I'm choosing my partner is I want them to desire me, even if I don't desire myself. And he would say, that's inevitably going to wreak havoc in a marriage if you have a low level of differentiation or self, and then you're expecting your partner to fill that. But then we also know so much around the world of trauma and just the work of so many great trauma mm-hmm. clinicians and looking at adverse childhood experiences and just that notion that we all have a story that's influencing our marriage today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then another category might be things like sex education. So the average mm-hmm. high school student will, by the time they graduate, will only receive about 18 hours of sex ed, mm-hmm. uh, which is just wildly inadequate to help you maneuver through the inevitable difficulties of sexual mm-hmm. of your sexual life. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the field uh, tends to be fairly fragmented. And so part of what the research instrument is doing is I'm trying to compile all the best theories that are out there Mm -hmm. and then trying to say that the lack of integration between, you know, family of origin, childhood trauma, uh, emotional connection, uh, level of differentiation, all of these things, including sex education, all need to be brought together, that these are not a la carte menu options that you get to pick or choose. If you want a healthy marriage, you have to desire to heal your past wounds, you have to desire to develop a self, you have to desire how to give and receive pleasure, and you have to learn how to desire intimacy. Mm. If you're actually going to get to not just a relational flourishing point, but a holistic life flourishing. So a uh, very robust project. That's why it takes probably 40 minutes to 50 minutes to complete the survey. Uh, But I am so, so intrigued as to what we will find. So uh, we have an individual survey, but then we also have a survey that couples can take completely anonymously. Essentially, uh, individuals just get their own unique codes and then their partner will take it. And we want to look at like, you know, how do Enneagram numbers Mm -hmm. come together? Uh, How do people with maybe similar or different trauma histories, how do they come together and how does that influence the relational and sexual Mm. difficulties that they find themselves in? So uh, I am so excited for this project. I mean, I was definitely excited for Unwanted to see what we could find and learn from, uh, you know, porn struggles or infidelity, but this one in many ways feels so much more robust. Um, So if people are listening and want to take that survey, I would love to get more research respondents to Mm. that. So, mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. so I'm super excited. 
Yes, thank you. This is such foundational work. And I know mm-hmm. our listeners are very familiar with EFT and Gottman and attachment yes. work. And you're just a narrative and you're saying, guys, we can find our way together through these fields. They don't have to be divergent. And you are able to offer them if, you know, of course, we have to have people respond. So I'm so grateful <laughs> to our audience if they will do that. Uh, and I know we'll put it in the show notes, but uh, just to mm-hmm. remind us that uh, there is, through lines. We can find those connections. And I I did love that, that you asked the Enneagram type as well, because you know, there's going to be attachment pieces you discover there. And I'm so Mm -hmm. eager to see those results, but I I love that you're also taking time Mm -hmm. so that you can really navigate it well. Uh, And and I know we'll talk about this, uh, you know, in desire, but tell us a little bit about in your couple's work. I know you see a lot of couples Mm -hmm. in NYC. What are you seeing as some of the biggest issues in your in your couples. I'm so mm-hmm. curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say, I mean, this could just be the niche that I'm in, but I tend to work with uh, one couple that tends to have, or one uh, spouse that tends to have more of an unwanted sexual behavior uh, presentation. So they might have a porn struggle. They might uh, have you know, emotional affairs on and off again, physical affairs. And then there might be one partner that seems to be on the lower end of desire. So, uh, you know, speaking of David Schnarch, he would talk about how uh, in every single couple, uh, there is going to be a high desire couple or partner and a low desire partner. And the lower desire partner always determines the level of sex that the couple will have. And it's not that the lower desire partner is manipulative in that. It just tends to be that way. So I can't remember if I said it last mm-hmm. time, but my wife mm-hmm. uh, is the high desire social mm-hmm. partner in our marriage. So she wants friends. She wants mm-hmm. our house full of people all the time. And I am a uh, very low uh, <laughs> social desire. So when I was getting uh, some psychological evaluations done for my ordination, mm-hmm. uh, the the psychologist said, you have the lowest need of socialization of any ministerial candidate that's ever been through this denomination. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know me so well. <laughs> um, but that, that, that sense of it, it can play out with sex, it can play out with you know, sec or community. Um, And so that's a lot of times what we, what I end up finding with a lot of the couples that I work with is one partner, you know, wants more intimacy with their partner. Mm -hmm. The other one seems to want it a little bit less. And that desire discrepancy can really create uh, just a lot of hiding and contempt. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, the one that wants more tends to in some ways struggle more with more secretive behaviors because they feel like they can't get their needs or their desires Mm -hmm. met in their marriage. And so they are much more likely to go to, you know, just emotional affairs, pornography, and then some one partner usually desires it a bit less Mm -hmm. and, uh, and they could have any number of things. They could have past childhood trauma and sexual Mm -hmm. abuse that, uh, might inhibit them from feeling free with their desire, or they might feel like they're in something of a hostage situation that if I don't offer sex mm-hmm. to my partner, then there's going to be some level of contempt or anger that I'm going to have to experience. And again, desire cannot flourish where there is contempt. And so that's usually what happens in a lot of the couples that I work with is they're saying, are we incompatible? Uh, What's wrong with us? Uh, And part of the answer is like, yes, 
everybody is incompatible, but that's part of the, you know, the gift of relationship is that we learn how to struggle. Um, we learn how to learn and honor one another's stories and really learn how to honor and uh, extend kindness to one another. Mm. Oh my gosh, you are speaking our language and we are so grateful because we've been noticing, and of course, in my work with couples over the two decades as well, I'm noticing that uh, the power differential really matters. And of course, Mm -hmm. I see it being promoted so heavily now in modern culture from many of our seemingly best marriage researchers. And so Mm. unfortunately, I think it decreases a lot of intimacy and safety between partners. And I'm hearing you really remind us the threat of kindness is more Mm -hmm. important than uh, trying to take power over and how contempt can come into a bond when we try that. Um, Is that Mm -hmm. something you try to teach your couples when they come to see you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way that I tend to work, uh, at least when I work with a couple, is I want to do individual work with them before Mm -hmm. I see them as a couple. I don't think that you have to do that. I know a lot of great marriage therapists that will just go right in. But Mm -hmm. I always want to get a sense of what is the story that this person is bringing into their marriage? Because if I don't have access to that, for me, it's very difficult to build a bridge between how does this current desire problem or marital difficulty actually relate to something in their past. So an example of that might be, uh, let's say this is a stereotype, but let's say there's a man who wants his wife to desire him a lot more. Well, we might find some childhood trauma in his background where uh, he was neglected through a lot of his childhood, felt a lot of abandonment. And so in that sense of getting married, part of his hope was, yes, he loved her. Yes, uh, he saw a future with her and loved her kindness. But there was also something of this unspoken desire that she would begin to soothe him and find him even in some of the hardest places in his life. And then the inevitable outcome of any marriage is that you're going to experience a lot of disappointment, but he has never worked through his story of disappointment and grief. And so then anytime there is that sense of uh, someone who has not grieved their story, they're going to set up something of a demand on their partner to come through for them. Mm -hmm. And so that really helps me to build the bridge of saying your spouse is not the war uh, right now. Uh, The war is actually probably far more to do with your parents, uh, unresolved grief. And so instead of kind of battling with your spouse, How about we go uh, to some of the stories where you lacked good care and people that were put on earth to desire you? uh, What if we began to feel grief and anger for those characters instead of, you know, uh, pointing your weapon at your spouse? And so that really allows that sense of if if a man, woman can find kindness for their story, Mm. I find that they are much more likely to extend kindness and understanding to their partner as well. And when they are living with less demand to be desired, because they actually begin to desire themselves, Mm. uh, they don't enter into conflict in the same way, because they've extended kindness to themselves, Mm. which allows them to you know, extend much more kindness to their spouse. So that that would be one example. 
Mm, that's a great visual for all of us thinking this through with you that people are uh, not getting the proper self-care, self-soothing, and uh, they're looking for their partner to do all that for them. But I also like how you remind us that the contempt and hostility outward to them often uh, we don't really know this when we look at the fundamental attribution error at a very plain glance because we think, oh, we think higher of ourselves. But what you're really rooting us, and I love this for your clients who come to see you and get that individual care first, is there's often a lot of wounding that goes so deep that we're we're deeply looking for that partner to fill something that we have to process through first. So your yes. family of origin work is really important to this whole process of your partner work. Um, yes. And you mentioned somebody who desired you from the beginning. Do you mean like your parents who were put here to desire you? Or do you mean your spouse who was put here to desire you? Uh, parents. So like uh, Dr. Kurt Thompson says that we we grow up looking for someone looking for us and this mm-hmm. never stops. And so that's kind of that notion of, you know, from the time that we, we are born, we're looking for eyes that are there to desire us. And a lot of times that's what happens in you know, the failure to establish a secure attachment with our parents is that we, you know, are looking for someone to delight in us that sense of like, you know, did you have a mom or a dad that would occasionally, you know, sit on your bed in the morning and say, I can't wait to go and do this day with you. I I have, you know, the best day ever planned out for us. Let's Mm go. And so that sense of that's really what children need is a parent that is eager to delight in them, that Mm -hmm. understands their heart, that understands the things that, you know, bring them life and really schemes to make those things happen. But a lot of times we don't get that And then we watch a lot of romantic comedies and Mm -hmm. see a lot of things in culture. And then we begin to think like, oh, well, my parents weren't there, but maybe this significant other will really help me feel what I feel like I'm supposed to feel in life. So uh, that's one way that it plays out. Mm, And so you're really aligning us with the reminders that... um, don't shame yourself if you've come into mm-hmm. marriage with some of these Hollywood notations or uh, some of these unfulfilled needs from your parents, because we know there's this long line of generational trauma, perhaps before you. I can remember one of my grad school professors saying the sins of the fathers and mothers. But um, yes. I think that you're allowing us that freedom to say, if you weren't properly nurtured with secure attachment, then how could you have brought that into your marriage? Yes. And and that's gracious as well as, but let's look at that. Let's uncover that a bit in a healthy environment. And I love that you're reminding uh, couples to do that work because I think mm-hmm. it's one thing to listen to a podcast and quite another to delve into our stories and we all <laughs> get so busy. Uh, so yes. hopefully people will be taking their journal out from here or contacting a helper to really delve in because it sounds like when you are working with couples in lieu of intimacy, they're just taking on a a lot of uh, practices that are actually drawing them farther apart. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I mean, one example from my own marriage would be, you know, I have, you know, as an Enneagram three, like Mm -hmm. I, I have to do a lot of excavation to understand Yes, there's a lot of dignity in being a three, but there's also, as we all know, quite a bit of shadow. So I have to attend to the stories in my childhood that maybe were due to the failure of my parents, but it's just also just due to growing up in a traumatized world. And so, you know, one of my kind of core experiences would be my dad was a, a minister in the Northern Virginia area. So right outside of D.C., 
And it was kind of an upper middle class neighborhood, but we always had like uh, the oldest house. We didn't get things that were remodeled. We had a Dodge Mm -hmm. uh, caravan with kind of the wood paneling Mm -hmm. uh, way after it was probably like 10, 15 years old. So a lot of my, you know, stories growing up were just this sense of I feel alien from the world around me. Mm-hmm. So why is it that other people have Nikes, but my mom took me to Payless and I'm in gym class and my shoes begin to leave this black streak all across the gym floor. And I get called out by the PE teacher to say, you can't have those shoes in the gym. Mm-hmm. Well, that created something of a wound, something of a trauma. And some of people listening might be like, that's not a trauma. Like, let's talk about the Iraq war or Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And so part of what I would classify that is, you know, in the field that's known as a small T trauma. Mm -hmm. And what Gabor Mate says is that, you know, trauma is not just something that happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside of you in the absence of an empathetic witness. And Mm -hmm. so, Uh, For me growing up, I didn't have an empathetic witness to something as simple, but also heartbreaking as that gym story. So that created this wound in me of I really need to manage my appearance. And so I need to make sure that my shoes are right. I need to make sure that my eventually my words, how I sound, all these things need to be highly manicured in order to avoid a confrontation with my own shame. And so, you know, that's part of the low desire for socialization is if I just don't desire people, Mm -hmm. and I don't put myself in context to be around people, then I can begin to mitigate shame. So when my wife wants to have a lot of people over, and we don't have three or four hours to clean, or we haven't been able to hire, uh, you know, someone to get same day cleaning, Uh, to come into our house, uh, there is a lot of anger of like, you should have told me this earlier. Uh, Do not have people over. Our house is a mess. And she's like, it doesn't matter. We're having people over. And I, and that, you know, that nine-year-old, 10-year-old boy that she married is uh, raging inside. And so I think that's really, you know, the, the importance of knowing our story in the context of a marriage is that Yes, my my wife wants me to mature a lot more and she can kind of shame me into it. Or we can also have conversations about how does a 40 year old man myself also begin to parent that 10 year old who's terrified of being discovered or uh, alienated. And so it's not just that she has to soothe me. It's that she also calls me to be more differentiated and to say, is that really where you want to leave that 10 year old is constantly scanning the world for where he might be humiliated? Or do you want to step into kind of caring for him and establishing some strength? And Mm -hmm. that's what I think is the really beautiful, but wildly disruptive work of marriage is you married a story, you married a 10 year old (laughs) boy, you married an eight year old girl. um, And It, that's part of you know the the wonder, but also the madness of marriage. Yes, yes, and you named it well. Like these stories are everything, which is why you love to start with story. And I'm inspired yes. by that because I think that uh, we're all carrying these. And of course, being in the fear triad, I can 
relate. And plus my three sister, I'm just like going through, okay, no wonder <laughs> she was always the top of the class in every possible area of life. And uh, yet yes. as a fear type, I I know those stories get carried through and it's just so mm-hmm. funny. Like we're such a hot mess sometimes, even as people doing our work. And so we have to bring in a lot of, like you said, Gabor Mate's compassionate inquiry to really mm-hmm. delve in and, yes. and that takes intention. And I'm grateful to every listener mm-hmm. here, but because even if we don't always do the deeper delves, we are coming here with intention to mm-hmm. at least, mm-hmm. even from this episode, we can start to honor our spouse's story more. And I was just thinking how last night I was dog sitting for a friend and um, I went and I was like, no, Wes, I've got this. He had a really tough day medically because uh, that's his practice. And okay. I, I came to dog sit and my daughter went to the restroom and it was just her and I, and I sat on the porch and as a seven, I scanned everything for security. It's a farmhouse. I closed okay. my eyes, check for spiders though, because I'm also doing that <laughs> six wing thing. And then I closed my eyes for one second and there's a guy in the driveway, leaning over, passes my Jeep, backs up, gets in the driveway and then says, uh, I want to pet your dogs. Can I pet your dogs? And he's like, is that a boy or a girl? And I'm like, it's a boy, but it was a girl. <laughs> yeah, like upset. yeah. And I get up and I go inside and I'm just like, lock the door. And he's standing yeah. outside petting both dogs for like five minutes. I call my husband. He comes to play the hero. And then um, I was just like, here's what's happening. He's like, I'm coming right now. So he comes and then he's like, you're not coming here again. And it was like his hero story of like taking yes. over. But then what was so funny is he gets up super early for medical work. And I'm like, honey, did you feed the dogs this morning? <laughs> Like I totally forgot. He's like, it is just like made me laugh. He's like, don't worry, it's okay. Don't go. And I'm like, no, we're all four of us gonna go. We'll be okay. Um, and it's like these stories get so convoluted, but luckily I could tell the compassionate story of he was so kind. He came last night, you know. I'm telling the stories of not safety, but I guess where I'm going with this in the grand scheme is a uh, this is our hot mess story, but B, yeah. it's also a reminder to me of like sometimes, and and this might be very uh, putting my cards on the table here to say, sometimes I feel like the world isn't safe, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that sometimes needs to be processed. Like you close your eyes as a woman and you are thrown off. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, and then you can't expect your husband to rescue you because like you said, uh, you know, uh, we want to uh, be adults. So I think yes. I'm still learning that. Like, how do I, mm-hmm. and I think I did that a bit this morning to say to him, no, I've got this. There's going to be four of us. This yeah. guy's, I was like, trust me, this guy's not independently wealthy. <laughs> he didn't work today. <laughs> We're yes, good to go. Yeah. But yes, like, I guess they're yeah. just asking you, like, what can we do in marriage? And this honestly is my next question that I had written is when we are in that space where we're like, I desire to grow closer to you, mm-hmm. but there's these stories I carry of shame or mm-hmm. fear, or in the case of a body type, being right and doing what's right. Like, how can we come together uh, if we're just listening here and we want something to journal or to process through? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, my mind first went to, uh, maybe I'll do two things. One would be kind of just a present day uh, exercise. And then the other one would be more of a historical kind of bridge building. But, uh, you know, I think a lot about uh, Dan Siegel's window of tolerance work. And so, you know, the image here would be, I mean, think of kind of two uh, parallel lines. And in the middle would be the green zone. And that's when you are, you know, it's a great day, you're breathing well, you're excited to kind of see your partner, kind of all is kind of well in your world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, we can leave that green zone, and then we can go up into the red zone. 
And so the red zone is like where your heart begins to race, uh, blood pressure goes up, much more of the fight or flight responses is there. Um, and that's where a lot of anger, a lot of arguments, a lot of fear begins to take place. And then on the lower end is what Siegel calls the blue zone. And that would be like the Monday morning blues. Like, I don't know how to get out of bed. I just had a major fight with my partner or I didn't get the promotion that I wanted. And I just feel like I am blue and don't want to move. There's no purpose in my life. And so a lot of times what happens is uh, if we are in the red zone or the blue zone, we don't know how to bring ourselves back into the green zone. So there's a phrase mm -hmm. called name it to tame it, where if you mm -hmm. can name your emotion, your fear, your anxiety, your uh, depression accurately, what happens is that your prefrontal cortex will squirt oxytocin down into your limbic system. And that will begin to offer you a type of soothing uh, just through naming the emotion accurately. So I would say that that would be a differentiated thing to do in a marriage is to say, I'm in the red zone right now. And if I'm in the red zone, I pick fights with my partner. I pick fights with my kids. I ruin things in the red zone. So mm -hmm. I need in my marriage and in my family to kind of leave for like 15, 30 minutes. I need to go for a run. I need to uh, you know, get in contact with nature because I need to read that I'm in the red zone mm -hmm. and then come back to my family when I'm in more of a green zone experience. Or a lot of times I'll you know, have a rough week and just be like, I don't feel like going through what this week requires of me and I'll just be in a blue zone. And similarly, I need to have grounding processes to be able to extend kindness to myself to come back into the green zone. So what mm -hmm. I experience a lot in couples work is that a lot of times a partner might go blue yeah. and then the other partner gets really anxious about like, well, if I don't pull my wife or my husband out of this depression, it's not going to be well. So the other one gets pretty frantic. And that's where I would say like, no, both partners need to go and establish their own green zone mm. and then kind of come back together. So that's what I would say, just from something that we can do in our own individuation and, uh, mm. you know, differentiation would be to learn how to soothe your own anxiety and your own distress. Don't outsource that job to your partner because that's what will create a lot of conflict. But then mm -hmm. I think the more, the deeper work might be like, why is this particular theme? Like in the example that I just provided about having friends over, yeah. why is this something that always throws me into the red zone? Mm -hmm. Well, that's something where I need to write down, like get mm -hmm. out a a piece of paper and a pen mm -hmm. and write down, okay, this is the experience of anxiety and mm -hmm. having a clean home. Well, I wonder what my story is with regard to why my home needed to be clean. And immediately I'm thinking about my mom vacuuming mm -hmm. all the time. And we would have a lot of chores and the house needed to be presentable before we would have anyone over. So my mom is a central character with regard to that. Uh, that gym story comes up with regard to that. And I think that's the work of marriage is to say like, here are the two or three themes that we fight about over and over again. It could be money, it could be sex, it could be in-laws, but what is really at play here? And we might find that it has something to do with security, provision, uh, it, the issue of loyalty. And then we need to go and you know do our own individual work to say, you know, here's the current story, but here are some of the past stories. And I want to build that bridge between the two. 
And I think if if two partners are both willing to do that work, there is tremendous uh, potential in them to flourish because it's a sense of now I know your story and I'm not going to use that story as a weapon against you the next time, but I'm actually going to use the knowledge that I have of you to love. And mm-hmm. okay. uh, that's the key distinction. Um, don't do this work if you're committed to immaturity, because you'll just have more stories to weaponize. But if you can really say we're doing this to mm-hmm. to excavate one another's stories with love, mm-hmm. um, I, I've never not seen a marriage dramatically improve when both of them are committed to that. Mm, this is just gold for all of us. Thank you. Because from name it to tame it to, uh, I think of the Enneagram instincts and our listeners here know I play a huge, uh, you know, I love the instincts because I feel like you, you named that a bit when you were talking about, um, the social instinct and what it brings up for you and, and that self-prep instinct in this case and the sexual instinct. And, and I feel these are bigger drivers in many cases than Mm -hmm. the types themselves. Uh, and, and we tend to try to do a bit of balancing work with that, like tiny baby steps, Mm -hmm. but you saying we need the story to go with it so that our partner understands, I think is very key to the heart work versus just that head work that I was tempted to do yesterday with a head type client. And I was like, okay, we need to come back to the heart (laughs) because we're both navigating and investigating. And this is not a head type of space that what we're talking about here with desire. And Mm -hmm. so thank you for just inviting us all to like, see what's the story in our hearts about these pieces. And even just giving that compassion to each other versus this sequestering or uh, positioning ourselves as enemies. Because I think when there's that hero villain, we're losing (laughs) our ground very quickly. Like you said, no one's going to want to tell that story when our verbals or nonverbals are hostile. So if you're wondering and listening, like, how do I, how do I navigate desire? I think you're telling us, make sure you guys stay with the richness of the interior. Don't just look at it at face value sometimes. Yeah. And that, I mean, that goes back to, you know, the book that I'm writing and researching Mm -hmm. is I really think all of these things need to be done together where it's like, I know a lot of people that get into narrative work and then kind of use their narrative to excuse developing intimacy because it's just like, well, this is my story. And then they use their story as an excuse to not develop a self Mm -hmm. or people that are like very committed to, you know, emotionally focused work and they just want a secure attachment in their marriage, but they've never done the story work to understand Mm -hmm. why they have turned this desire for secure attachment into their marriage, into a demand within their marriage. And that's, that's where, you know, emotionally focused work can be weaponized if you're not doing Mm. that story work. Or, Mm. you know, a lot of times people will read all the best sex education out there to try and improve their sex life. Mm -hmm. But if they don't have a sense of how to develop intimacy or their story, um, they're going to be using that to evade kind of some of the harder and more difficult work. And so I think that's where marriage is just this crucible that corners us to say, you've got to do all the work. Um, And it's, it's hard work, but it's also glorious work. If you can Mm -hmm. um, enter your story and, and learn how to make a relationship thrive Mm -hmm. in the midst of, of your marriage. Yeah, that is really cool. And it's beautiful to reap the results of that, to be able to say, and I I know myself, I do it really well. Some days, some days I don't. Um, But to be able to know how to navigate these spaces, I think 
is very powerful and key and very, it brings a lot of safety. And I do think that's mm-hmm. a, like we're saying today, like such a precursor for true deep intimacy is yes. that safety. But then like, you're going to be adding, and we can't wait to have you back when you talk through your, your next book, uh, because it's, it's really going to be uh, a nice stepping stone for even deeper desires together. But I think we're mm-hmm. establishing some foundation here. And I know with West being a social subtype, when we were both dysregulated yesterday, uh, <laughs> it was it was interesting because I saw it and I'm just the one who uh, is more self-prez. And so I was like, oh gosh, he is a hot mess after work. And I mm-hmm. knew he had a lot of difficult mm-hmm. patients. And I knew in his type one, he wasn't valued the way he probably needed to be. And uh, he's not a, you know, a three or an eight, which Trudy just uh, shared. And I'll have that podcast pass cast mm-hmm. soon. I haven't shared it yet, but this is a group that really can navigate for themselves in the, in the workforce. And, and so I'm like, he's not there, but I don't have it to give either. Cause I also had a long mm-hmm. day with clients and my kids. So I sent my two kids who are social and very healthy in that space to go navigate. And I thought that was a beautiful part of family mm-hmm. work that I was like, those two would be great. My nine doesn't need <laughs> his stress right now. Of course, then we had our own stress at that house, <laughs> but like, it was like our way of saying, the story I'm going to tell myself is my spouse is really overworked and he needs to be regulated some himself and he needs to yeah. find that self-pres and we're working on that together. But some mm-hmm. of it is he finds like you, I noticed you use the language of we need to go to ourselves. And for Wes, that language is still scary after such mm-hmm. severe trauma. Mm-hmm. And he has done some good work and continues to, but it was like I got to really put that together with he is a social wiring. And when he was a child and his parents were drugging, he was able to find safety in mm. groups. But I'm like, I don't have it to give. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I guess we're just learning all together about the ways to navigate this. But you're really making our our brains think so hard today on every level. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so grateful, yeah. Jay. But what you're saying is like, I mean, that's all story, right? So like if yeah. he if he had druggy parents, there's a lot of crises that he is seeing. So that sense of when mm-hmm. you need a rescue, I mean, he, mm-hmm. he has been neurologically yeah. oh, hardwired yeah. for yeah. that. It, yeah. But the but for a lot of it, and you included, like when you're mm-hmm. scanning, like I know what my kids need, I know what he might need, mm-hmm. but then to be able to still find like this is what would be good for me to have safety. I mean, you had to do a lot of work to be able to know mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to make a, a request of something that I really need, which I think that's where the beauty is, is that mm-hmm. you were able to scan your environment and kind of get a sense of there was a lot of reasons to not call for help because you can naturally get a sense of what other people's needs Mm -hmm. expectations are but you knew that and you continued to press into like no I need to honor what it is that I need right now even given Mm -hmm. all of the situations so I think that's the the good work of marriage is to say yeah why am I really good in crises but then in kind of normal feed the dog moments I'm not (laughs) necessarily aware of it and that's that's fine that's that's when you look at any of our professions of like why I'm a therapist why you're a therapist why your husband is a doctor it's like we grew up knowing how to anticipate needs and crises and that's a lot of the helping professions is we have a lot of unaddressed trauma um and we can find our identity through being good in in the midst of crisis and difficulty but uh often very very difficult for people in the helping professions to know themselves which is i know very ironic 
Mm, well, that's uh, a good portion of our listenership here. And there's a lot of pastors yeah. listening and uh, mm-hmm. people who maybe are burnt out, used to be pastors or no longer pastors, but trying to find their way spiritually. And it's just yes. such a life-giving invitation when you say, keep looking for your story, keep trying to find each other. Don't give up. It's a worthy, glorious space mm-hmm. to be able to just even just meet sometimes there and so much more worthy than just completely staying away in that self-pres hole that sometimes seems so amazing and inviting, <laughs> um, but really ultimately leaves us in the shadows forever if we don't come back. So, um, yeah. but I'm grateful personally that you're, you're reminding us it is okay to go away for a little while. That's very healing too. So um, yes. can you tell us yeah. where we can find this research and just more about your work. I know our listeners already love you, but uh, for the new ones who don't know about you yet, tell us. Uh, so my website is uh, jay-stringer.com. Uh, there's another British crime fiction author that has jay-stringer.com. So that's not me. Um, also on Instagram occasionally, but uh, maybe in your show notes, you can add you know, if someone wants to take the research, we can get couples, the anonymous survey if people are willing to take it. But mm-hmm. uh, Instagram or a uh, website are the place to learn about intensives that I offer for couples mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, other resources, books and kind of, yeah, Okay, that's where they can find me. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much. We are so glad. I know this is going to be a repeat episode for a lot of people. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to you for staying here with us, maybe even through some uncomfortable moments as you process one of our stories or as you're thinking more likely about one of yours. Uh, And I hope that you will get that uh, helper or coach if you need uh, somebody who is gifted in the realm of sexuality or that you will take some time, as Jay said, to truly just get that piece of paper out and write out what's making you feel uh, not regulated, making you feel unsafe so that you can truly help yourself to find your way back to healthy intimacy in your spouse. So lots to take in. Feel free to make this one of those episodes that you re-listen to, that you share with your spouse, and we will talk to you soon. Grab everything in the show notes. And thanks guys so much for this journey. Love doing it with you. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you loved today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcasts or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show as well as EnneagramAndMarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.